I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the Webby-nominated podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm really excited to be welcoming Leslie and Bruce today to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Leslie is a five-time New York Times bestselling co-author and an award-winning entertainment journalist, formerly of Us Weekly and The Hollywood Reporter. She's the founder of Unpacified, an online community for modern women to discuss motherhood through an unfiltered, judgment-free lens of honesty and humor. Her latest book, You Are a Fucking Awesome Mom. Should I say fucking or effing? I, Whatever you prefer. I don't know. What do you, I don't know. <laughs> Continues the online conversation. She lives in Laguna Beach with her husband and her two children. So thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. So first, the title. Do you say effing? Do you say? I think it depends on the audience. When I, I try to be respectful that not everybody was born and raised in the South Side of Chicago and <laughs> has that word as part of their their vernacular. But yeah, so I'm. I mean, in a comfortable setting, I'm happy to say you are a fucking awesome mom because I believe it. And you just met me. And yes. Yet, and yet you know. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Can you please tell us what your an uh, whatever awesome mom is about and what inspired you to write it? It is, You Are a Fucking Awesome Mom is a, I say it's a mama book. It's not a baby book. It is a book for women who are transitioning into motherhood. It is a book that focuses on that journey because so much of preparing for becoming a mom is baby-centric. We plan for the nursery. We plan for, you know, the hospital and our diaper bag and what kind of crib mattress to get, but we're not planning for what happens when we become mothers, when in that moment when your child is born and you realize you're the least important person in that room. And when I had my daughter in 2014, I really struggled with that transition. I felt I went through, on top of the, you know, the hormone shifts and the body shifts and all of that, I was going through a real identity crisis. You know, I'd spent so much of my life being one person and overnight I was becoming someone new and I didn't have the foresight to really honor that change. So this book talks about that journey and you know largely about my journey and it is its goal is to help women, support women who are going through it as well and also offer them a little bit of guidance. I don't I don't like to say so much advice because I think that only you know what is best for your child in your home, but I'd like to, you know, have a little tips and tricks along the way. It's awesome. And you do it in such a funny way and in a, in a new way. There are a lot of parenting books out there and a lot of women empowerment. You're great at this. You're a badass, whatever. But this was like the perfect blend of tips, what I wish I'd known. I, w- I was trying to say to you before, but I was like, I'm not going to say this now. Let me save this. But in truth, I really wish I'd had this book before I had any of my kids. Thank you. That means and a lot. <laughs> even still with four kids, who's like your target? Any mom? Would you prefer, is it better for the first time mom? What's the best part for experienced moms? I think that it works for all moms. I think it's one of those things that I want to give to all women, like the moment that they get pregnant. Yeah. Because I think that from that moment, from conception, like the train has left the station. Mm -hmm. But I think that all moms can pull something out of it because it wasn't until I had the ability and the time to kind of sit down and really think about, in the creation of this book, think about what I was going through and what it all meant. I think that after having children, we become so busy with our lives that we don't take the time to sit and like appreciate the journey that we went on. And I think that for moms who, you know, do have four children and who've been moms for a while, it allows you to give yourself a little bit of grace and a little bit of forgiveness for your less than stellar moments, (laughs) which we all have. 
I'm like, is it that obvious already? <laughs> no, it's for all women, no, right? I'm kidding. No. Of course. No, of course. Everybody goes through Every, it. Yeah. And it's still, it's one of those things where it's like, we still feel guilty about, right? Like we still feel that pang of like, oh, you know, there's something I wish I could have been all things to all people, but reminding yourself that you're doing everything with the best intention and with your kids' best interests at heart. And that's what makes you awesome. I loved all the lists. So one of the best parts is shit you should know, a list of things you might cry over. Like one of the funniest ones I thought was, you told your husband not to touch you so he doesn't touch you. Right. (laughs) (laughs) That's so perfect because it's like you don't know what you want. Right. I mean, it's like like the essential paradox. It's like, I want you to want me, but like don't touch me. (laughs) And I think, you know, it's, 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 especially in those early postpartum days, like all like reason and logic has sort of left the building. So yeah, it's, it's for me, it was like, I wanted to still be wanted, but I didn't feel, especially early on, necessarily great in my skin. And I had either baby feeding on me or someone needing me. Like, I want you to want me, but like, don't you dare (laughs) come close to me. I want you to sit next to me, not touching. And then just, you know, give me that support. (laughs) You also have the list, shit you need to stop feeling guilty about. Yes. Okay. Lots of stuff on this list. Sure. How do I stop feeling guilty? It's not, it's about, you stop feeling guilty by accepting your guilt. And I think it's all about reframing it because what's the alternative? The alternative is not caring enough to feel guilty. You feel guilty. And the motive of feeling guilty is because you love your kids and you love your family so much that you wish there was more of you to give. You wish that you had more time. You wish you were able to be better in some capacity. So the the motivating factor is the fact that you love so much. So instead of focusing on, you know, the shit that you're not doing, focus on the fact that you're trying so hard to do it all. And your kids feel that and they know that and they know they're loved, and that's 90% of it all. I was just telling the story to somebody I had kind of forgotten a few years ago. I had coffee with a girlfriend of mine, and I was like, so how's everything going? You know, what's up? And she's like, well, I've decided I'm going to stop feeling guilty. So things have been great. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, yeah, just like that, because she was a working mom and commuting right. and all this stuff. She's like, yeah, I'm just not going to feel guilty anymore. And now, you know, everything's fine. It's like, all right, I've got to figure this one out. Yeah. <laughs> that seems to be the secret, right? The guilt is the biggest sort of hindrance to successful parenting, right? Right. you keep getting in your own way. Well, and especially for successful parenting for, for modern women, because we have, you know, a large number of us have careers or, you know, interests or things that are, you know, identifying factors beyond motherhood that are really important to us. So being able to take that time to fill all of those cups is, is near impossible. So realizing, you know, that you're going to, that guilt is sort of part of it, but don't wallow in it. You know, like don't like let yourself get so down about it and just appreciate that you feel guilty because you care. And what's the alternative? You wrote in the book, which I thought was so great, women today are more unprepared for motherhood than at any other point in history, save for like the Stone Age. And then you said that we are ill-equipped to transition from independent boss lady to mommy, mommy, mommy. Tell me more about this. Yeah, I mean, so that's one of the things when I was uh, figuring out what the hell had happened to me during the first year after having my daughter. This was sort of what my my aha moment was. I think that there are three important factors sort of in a head-on collision. One being that women today, for the most part, are, you know, more educated, more career-focused. You know, we've spent, we're having children later, so we're spending a large portion of our adulthood creating our identities. You know, my mom was married at 22, her mother was married at 19, and 
oftentimes in generations past, they're going from sort of their family home to their marriage home, and they don't have that period of time to develop who they are as independent people. And women today are. And so, you know, as I had said earlier, when we're forced to sort of give a lot of that up, and you are, you are forced to give up parts of yourself when you become a mother. And so the idea of like, you can have it all, I really push against because you, I think that it's important to hold on and fight for the things that are really important in your life and start learning to accept that there are certain parts of your life as in becoming a mother that are just going to be, you know, in your past. And I wasn't at all prepared for that. I wasn't, I had never had grieved sort of the passing of my, my independent self. And then that coupled with more women today and more millennials today specifically are further away geographically from their families. Like my mother grew up in Chicago and on the street that she grew up was her, her mom, obviously, her three aunts and her grandmother. Wow. So there was an incredible community and there's sort of that like those native tribes, you know, where every woman sort of came to pitch in to help as, as women are going through these transitions. And in certain countries, it still exists like that today. And in the States, a lot of women are further away from home. So I, when I had my daughter, I was in one of these LA canyons with no sidewalk. I didn't know my neighbors. You know, my husband was back to work because he now had a family to support. And I was left alone. My, my parents lived only 90 minutes away, but that's not a pop-in from around the corner kind of drive. And so here I was, this woman going through this crazy identity loss, left alone all day with a baby who I couldn't figure out. And I felt like I was failing her. And I was failing what I what was the most important thing to me. It was the, it was the biggest... It, it was a high-stakes game. It was the biggest thing that I was ever going to do, and I felt like I was failing her, and that was crushing. Which then brought in the third component, which is social media. And the only access I had to the outside world, the only barometer to be able to see how I was doing at motherhood, was you know blogs and Facebook and Instagram. And from where I stood, it looked like everyone else was nailing it, and I was failing her. And I felt so horrible that my daughter... I felt got saddled with with me. Like she picked, I say in the book, she picked the short straw in the lottery because I couldn't give her, you know, magic hour photo shoots with like, you know, sprigs of lavender and, and, and you know, boho braids. And as you point out in the book though, you have a beautiful Instagram feed. I do, I do. I'm and my own like, hypocrite. Yeah, no, you're not a hypocrite, but it's like, I look at yours and I'm like, oh, now I feel like a failure compared to you. Do you know, like, look at how beautiful and your kids and like the boards with the letters and like, yeah. it looks amazing. It's and I, I, But you address it really well in the book. I, I address that in the book and I also try to be really upfront on my Instagram about it. It is, it's a, it's a slippery slope because it is in order to, get the attention of people on any platform. It needs to be aesthetically pleasing, right? It needs to, people I find don't necessarily love to look at photos. You know, that's why Pinterest is so addicting. You know, you want to see these beautiful things. So I try to use, you know, the visual to bring people in and then quickly let them know that my life looks nothing like this. Um, I recently did something with The Bump and my first thing that I said is my life looks nothing like this photo. (laughs) I mean, here's what was really happening behind the scenes. But I created the platform because I wanted to connect with women and let them know that this is just a picture and anybody can make a beautiful picture and you have no idea what's being cropped out of the frame. Very true. So tell me about Insta-shaming, like Insta-shame and Insta-mom and yeah. Yeah. What does it mean to be Insta-shamed? To be insta-shame means that you are 
holding yourself to an unrealistic expectation that you are feeling guilty because you are not living a picture-perfect life. And it is often things that we're putting on ourselves. And I think like the Instamom, as I had said, the Instamom has like, you know, a succulent wall and she only bathes her baby in like a galvanized tub (laughs) using like, obviously like homemade soap that she made with organic products. And, you know, her whole life is like, you know, tones of like blush and mustard and cream and maybe (laughs) like maybe a hint of like a dark gray. And I feel like a lot of women don't recognize it for what it is still. And that it really is, I, I, I try to use Instagram like a magazine or anything that has like the ability to edit and crop and Photoshop. But a lot of women don't see that. And when women, especially these Instamoms, speak about their motherhood experience on Instagram, it is, they'll say something like, I always want to acknowledge and remember this season of motherhood. I'm like, I... Like, what are you even saying? Like, speak like a normal human. Like, just say, like, I really want to remember when I'm when he's grown that how it felt when he slept on me. But he also, like, you know, had a diaper blowout today. And I cried because, you know, I went to go get, like, an Oreo and there are no more Oreos or, or whatever it is. Like, speak normally about motherhood. And I find that that's so much more relatable and it creates a community. Totally. And, to, and is this is this how you started Unpacified? Like, tell me about starting that. Yeah, well, I, so I started Unpacified because I wanted to connect with other women because I quickly realized after, you know, coming out of the, the fog of that, like, newborn war that my experience wasn't uncommon, that actually most mothers went through a similar experience, maybe not necessarily the same, they didn't struggle with the same things, but when you're making that sort of journey into motherhood, you have these you have these hurdles and everyone goes through them. And once I realized that I wasn't alone in that, but as somebody, as a, as a woman with like, you know, I was educated and I had, a, I had friends, but somehow still I felt really alone in that. If I could feel like that, there's like every, you know, women all over could feel like that. And my experience wasn't sort of in this vacuum. So I wanted to make sure that if I could, to the best of my ability, connect with women so they wouldn't be alone so that they would realize that they're not failing, that they realize that, you know, you can have a really, really hard day and still be an incredible mom. And and one moment doesn't define you. One terrible day doesn't define you and that you will get through it and that it does get easier and you will learn to love and appreciate this stage and this chapter in your life more than you ever thought humanly possible. And so if somebody wants to be a part of the unpacified community and get the benefits of all that you have to share, what should they do? They just go to the website or should they sign up? Yeah, they, they go to the website, or? they sign up for the newsletter, they start engaging on social media. I have women who have connected um, and become friends as a result of just kind of engaging with each other through social media. It really is sort of this wild platform, but, you know, I have people who come to me that they've created these great friendships and support because they find women who've gone through similar experiences and because I really try to create a judgment-free space because I do believe in my heart of hearts that if you are a person who is going to a website or social media or you're you're going somewhere to educate yourself either about childhood or your motherhood experience, whatever it is, that you're trying your best. Mm-hmm. Like if you're going to those places looking for resources and looking for information that you're trying to do your best or what you think is right. So not to not to judge anybody along the way and be open that many roads, I think, lead to Rome. And there's a lot of ways to raise really good kids. It's so hard too, because 
everything trains us. We get trained for so many different things aside from this. And then there's no metric. There's no like, yeah, you did great. You, there's no performance review. There's no right. nothing at the end of it. And we're used to like, okay, we study, we get grades. Like we work hard at work, you get a review, you get a promotion. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying anything original here, but just that with motherhood, there are so few markers. Yeah. And there's so, it just feels like this endless... Not struggle is the wrong word because there's so much joy in it, but sometimes it can just feel, I don't know, overwhelming. Yes, I mean, there is, but I feel like there's, yes, it can be wildly overwhelming and it is a struggle. It is a struggle because everything that's really worth doing comes with struggle and having a beautiful family and raising good people comes with struggle because you're going to have to go through some wild times. And you're right, like, I think it would be nice if at the end of the day I got a gold star and, you know, uh, my husband handed me a frozen yogurt and said, you did awesome today. But I think, and what I try to tell myself is that the reward is seeing my child succeed, which sounds like something I would never (laughs) say five years ago. But it really is. It's a really rewarding thing when you see your child like living a fulfilling life. It's, it fills my heart in a way it's, it's, I'm it's I'm living vicariously as my own win, so to speak. So I also feel like now that I've had four kids, and this is just my own, you know, anecdotal observation, I feel like I tried so hard with my first kids because I'm like a perfectionist and I wanted to do everything right and I want to read every book and I wanted like everything. And not that I'm not trying hard with my other two kids who I adore just as much, but I feel like my philosophy almost is like first do no harm. Like they're all born the way they are. I see it now. That they're all so different. Yeah. There's not that much I can do. I can mess them up. <laughs> but maybe there's not that much I can do to make them that much better. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. It kind of takes a relief, some pressure off, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. We're sort of innately who we are. And I see that with my my daughter. My son is only a year, but sort of I can see their personalities. And there's really no different... The variables are the same. Same parents, same environment, same totally. whatever. But, but so different. So different. So different. But I think it's so nice just to be able to encourage other moms. I mean, there's also this whole community of, not community, but I think a lot of moms get very self-conscious and down on themselves and respond by being snarky and, you know, trying to build themselves up in front of other moms, right? Sure. And it's just so self-destructive to our whole you know, the whole mom community. A hundred percent. And I think that that's a, a huge thing with the mom shaming Yeah, is that we're putting other mothers down in order to make ourselves feel better because we want to believe that we're making the best possible decision for our kids. And so the fact that somebody else is doing it differently makes us question whether we made the right choice. So it's a slippery slope, but you know, that's what I keep saying is like, there's, there's so many ways to do it right. Yeah. And as long as you love them and you show up, there's not a lot that you can, I don't know, royally <laughs> screw up. I loved how in the book you recommend that as a form of sort of self-care and taking care of your own intellectual inspiration or whatever, that you listen to podcasts while you're doing your chores or whatever. So aside from mine, which I'm sure you listen to every single one, but what podcast do you like? Well, I love your podcast. I also, I'm really into revisionist history. Mm. I love Malcolm Gladwell. I love the way that he speaks. He's like atrociously smart and his storytelling is just like, Remarkable, like where the first 10 minutes of every podcast, you're like, where is this going? Because it's always just sort of this like little window into this big world he explores. And you're always sort of set up for, you don't always know what you're getting from the description. And it ends up being wildly enlightening. And 
I have to stay away from like all those like murder podcasts because I was like got on a, like a deep well of them for a while and I would like walk into the house and I would just sort of be like on pins and needles and my husband would be like what's wrong like just don't talk to me for a second I'm really sorry if I did anything to you <laughs> please don't like put me in the backyard and then my best friend actually released her podcast in May the first season of Asking for a Friend with Lauren Conrad and it is a really fun really like uplifting really female empowerment podcast of all things, just to sort of, you know, tips and tricks for making your life a little easier and a little more fulfilling. So that's awesome. Yeah. So you've written five best-selling books. Yes. Tell me about that. How did you get into writing? When in the whole timeline of the kids and whatever did this all happen? My first book is called Drinking and Tweeting, and it was I co-authored it with Brandy Glanville, who was Unreal Housewives. And that happened in, yeah, 2013. And it sort of, it happened organically, sort of out of our relationship. And she trusted me. I was there through her whole story. And so she trusted me with it. And it did really well because she also has no filter and really connects with women by being a, you know, being willing to open up about her journey and her her struggles in a really open and raw way. And then I wrote her follow-up book, and then I did Down the Rabbit Hole with Holly Madison about her life inside the Playboy Mansion, which was fascinating. One of the, my favorite stories ever, because it was just really sort of pulled back the veil on this world that we all thought we had sort of an idea of what was happening. And then her follow-up, and then I wrote Celebrate. Uh, I co-authored that with Lauren Conrad, which is a party planning book, which was a very nice sort of, you know, diversion from what I had, had previously done. But they were it was it's it's different because you're writing someone else's story and especially with the first two books with Holly and Brandy I took a leading role in writing those because they were new to that world you know they they did a lot of the writing in the second books but for this book I'm now putting myself you know out on the table and it's I'm laying myself vulnerable so it's wins and it's setbacks are on my shoulders so Are you nervous? I am nervous because it's a very really personal you know part of my life and I had my friend tell me early on when there were certain things I wanted to pull back on that I felt were too raw to put in the book, left me too open for criticism or judgment. And my friend said, if you're going to talk the talk, you have to walk the walk. And so I did. I put it all out there. And so far, the response has been overwhelmingly supportive, and I'm really blessed for that. No, it's great. You, I mean, yeah, I agree. I'm so, I'm so glad you didn't hold anything back. I, I know when you were saying that, I was like, ooh, what did you hold back? Tell me, tell me. No, I, I mean, I went for it. I really, I mean, I really threw my husband's phone out of a second story window and <laughs> <laughs> I did, did it all. I mean, if everybody hadn't been there, people wouldn't be appreciating it so much, right? Everybody has been there. Yes. Child rearing can be the most like crazy making yeah. ever. Well, that's great. I mean, it's so great. You do all this for other women. Have you always like wanted to give back in some way? Is that just who you are as a person or? Oh, I'd like to say yes. <laughs> I mean, that would be wonderful. I'm really fortunate to have really strong and really amazing friendships and really amazing tribe of women that have been around me since before having children. And like I said, I think it's harder. I think women have a harder time today. Mm -hmm. And we're not, it's this very special period of time that we were like, un, we didn't, my, our, my mom didn't know how to prepare me for it because she didn't know what the world would look like. And so now we're here. And if I can help and connect with other women so they don't have to wake up and feel like shit because they feel like they're failing their kid when they're not. There's no need for that sort of, that pressure to put on yourself. So I, if I can do that for other women, I'm, I'm honored to do so. Oh, 
So tell me about the actual process of writing the book. Where did you do it? At your desk, at home? Did you go to coffee shops? Like, where do you like to write? How long did it take? It wasn't pretty, I'll tell you that. <laughs> the writing of the proposal to take out was, it was like a year's, because it was like, it was like giving birth. It just, it took me forever to do, because I was wanted to figure out exactly the best way to reach women. Um, and then when we started the actual process of writing the book, I was wildly pregnant with my son, and I had a, a challenging pregnancy with him. So there wasn't a lot I could do besides sit in front of a computer. But then, and so I did, I have a home office. But then the other second half of the book I wrote after he was born and I was nursing, so I couldn't be that far. But luckily we're fortunate to have a wonderful caregiver who helps us. And I did it from home and I did it when I could squeeze it in. And I, I'm very strict on setting deadlines for myself, which is a blessing and a curse. But I created, okay, this is when it needs to be in. I think from getting like a, a, a deal to to writing the book, having delivered, it was four or five months. Oh, wow. It's a pretty quick turnaround. And yeah, I just had to, I had to set those deadlines and power right through. But knowing in the back of my mind that I had written books before and I know that in the editing process, I have opportunities to kind of come back and revisit and, and much to the the dismay of a wonderful project editor named Michael, I was going back and forth and kind of reshifting things and moving it over the course of the last year. And what do you have coming next? Book publicity? Yeah, book publicity <laughs> for the next foreseeable future. <laughs> and then, you know, hopefully taking some time with my kids over the holidays. And then, you know, this book largely focuses on that early journey in motherhood and that in the mom's journey through motherhood. And I think that there's so much left to explore. And so I'd love to move on with a focusing more on those, those toddler years and then going through preschool and, you know, everything in the moment that you're going through, it feels so, so intense. So being able to, to speak to women as they continue on their motherhood journey. That's awesome. Do you have advice to aspiring authors out there? (sighs) Oh, my advice to aspiring authors, I think it's know your work, like know what you're writing. You know, when I did Down the Rabbit Hole, I poured myself into everything I could find, biography, documentary, everything about Playboy and Hugh Hefner. And then I'm in the mansion itself. And then with this book, I try to be really conversational. I want it to be like you're speaking to a girlfriend. But I mean, I went down these like wells of research, whether it was for like, you know, complex protein development and formulas or cortisol levels and crying babies or statistics of women returning to work postpartum and, you know, at what day they do. So I knew, I knew my subject um, because I felt like in order to really give women the best and appropriate advice, I needed to be really well-versed in it myself. And I think that's with anything, right? You know, J.K. Rowling is the is the the bar we all strive for in some degree, and she's the language is the magic in her series, and she's studied language. So I think you just knowing knowing what you're writing. Excellent. Well, thank you. And thank it sounds you. like you are a fucking awesome mom too, and certainly a fucking awesome writer. So, <laughs> so thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Sorry for cursing. <laughs> thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. You can follow me on Instagram at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You can always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. 